Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 4. Thanks for praying for the meeting in Oregon. It was a, just a tremendous time. The pastor out there, he works a job. He works for UPS delivering packages and studies and prepares and preaches. And it's, it, it made me thankful that, uh, that I'm able to be full-time here preaching. And he's a faithful man. His name's Ernest Good. Pray for that church. They're doing a great job. I was in Coos Bay, Oregon. And uh, the drive, it was about a two and a half hour drive from the airport in Eugene down to Coos Bay. And the trees had turned. And I'm driving along the Umpqua River, the Umpqua River Valley. Unbelievably beautiful. So while you guys were laboring and toiling, I was driving through that beautiful area. And then worked with the pastor all week long and preached every evening. Then it was about a 14-hour trip home on Thursday. Got home about 1 o'clock Friday morning. Then back up here for contractor meetings at 8 o'clock Friday morning. And just moving ahead. Isn't the building looking beautiful? It's so exciting. And when we get these floors done out here, then we'll be able to get the carpet finished up the stairs. But when you look at that carpet, isn't it good we didn't change that out yet? I know some of you thought we were leaving it that way to save money. But... We're not. <laughs> it's going to be finished. And it's just going to be exciting to see it all come. Can you believe that we're about two months away from the project being completed? That's hard to believe, isn't it? And it's exciting. And the message today, I wish I was smart enough to plan this message for this time in our church. But I'm just preaching through the text and we get to see what the text says then we can just say, praise God. He knows exactly what we need. Amen. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, help us as we study this text. Lord, thank you for Grace Baptist. Lord, there are so many people that have needs. I think of Dr. Edwards today and the cancer that he's going through. And Lord, uh, others that have needs. I think of my friend Jeff Faggart, who's preaching in New York this week. And he has brain cancer. And uh, Lord, we're praying that the treatment will go well for that. And so many needs that people have. But, Lord, we know that you can meet every one of them. You know about every one of them. Lord, thank you for this text that, that you've given me the opportunity to preach today. Lord, it's exactly what we need right now and help us as we study it. In Jesus' name, amen. Zechariah chapter 4, look with me in verse 9 or verse 8. Zechariah 4 and verse 8. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying... The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. With those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth." This text is interesting, so remember where we've been. Zechariah chapter 3 is all about how God is going to save the nation of Israel in a day. Zechariah chapter 4 is how God is not done with the nation of Israel, and they have a job to do. That's the first vision that we looked at, the vision of the candlestick. What, the, what we're seeing now is a direct message to, from Zechariah to Zerubbabel to finish the temple. So remember what's happened. They got carried off into captivity for 70 years. They came back with Ezra and Nehemiah to establish the land, build the walls, and begin building the temple. Now, 14 years later, the temple is not built. 
The foundation has been laid, but the work hasn't been done. And God raises up Haggai and Zechariah to challenge the people to finish the work. Now, there are two people mentioned in Zechariah chapters 3 and 4. There is Joshua, the high priest. So that is the man who was supposed to be performing the religious rites in the temple. And Zerubbabel was the governor. He was the leader that God had raised up for that time. And so God has a specific message. And this passage is proof that the visions from God are ultimately very practical. This is a very practical message that God is giving to Zerubbabel. And this message, of course, is a message to Zerubbabel. So keep your place. Put a marker in Zechariah chapter 4 and go to Ezra chapter 5. So if you find Psalms, just go backwards just a little bit and you'll find Ezra. Ezra chapter 5. We can start reading in verse 1. Ezra chapter 5 and verse 1. I'm trying to wait because what I hear is that I, I get to the passage and start reading before you're there. So I'm, I'm giving, trying to give you all time. Is everybody ready? Nobody's ready. Is everybody ready? Amen. All right. So Ezra chapter 5 verse 1. Then the prophets Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Edo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedach, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. This is such an interesting passage. So you have, this is kind of a synopsis so you understand what's happening in the book of Zechariah. You notice these are all the same players? So you get that information in Ezra, you get the information in Haggai, and you get the information in the book of Zechariah. When you put it all together, you really get the story of what's going on. They hadn't finished the work. And so remember that Zechariah and Haggai are... Now, Haggai was pretty tough on them. So he was the guy, you've not done it. Zechariah is, you can do it. So sometimes we need both of those, don't we? And so Zechariah is encouraging them to finish the work. But notice what's said here in Ezra. So look at verse 2. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedach, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. You know, it's interesting that our leaders need the help of God's men. So for us, the, the, the leaders now, we don't have prophets walking around. We have the prophets. We have it. So what our leaders need to hear is encouragement from God. Who are our leaders? Well, politically, people like Jim Jordan. Jim jo Do you think Jim Jordan could use some encouragement right about now? What is the world trying to do to him now, remember, Jim Jordan attends a church very much like Grace Baptist Church. He's a saved man. He loves God. He's serving God. He's doing a good job for us as our congressman in Washington. You know, not very many people have a guy like Jim Jordan to represent them. We need to write him letters and encourage him. Amen? We need to encourage him. We need to encourage our senators. So our Senator uh, Ron Johnson, or Rob Johnson, 
He's somewhere in between Jim Jordan and, uh, oh, who's the other guy that's run? That's Sherrod Brown. So Sherrod Brown is just to the left of Mao Zedong. <laughs> and Jim Jordan is right where we are. You know, that, that Freedom Caucus, it, they, they believe just like we do governmentally. And Johnson's somewhere in between. All of those guys need our encouragement. When I went to Washington and we prayed with Jim Jordan, man, he was so thankful that we did that. We went in and met with Johnson, and he was so thankful. And I was with um, Kevin Folger from Cleveland Baptist Church. And Brother Folger, their church is very large. You know, they'll have 1,500, 2,000 people every Sunday. So they have a lot of influence in that area. And when Johnson had come out for gay marriage... Um, well, Kevin Folger had stood up against that. And so he was shaking our hands and talking with us and, you know, doing the glad hand thing. And he shook Brother Folger's hand and he went back and he said, Kevin, he said, we can still work together. And it, it was amazing because God's people had taken a stand in Cleveland, how that turned that leader's head. And, and we in Sydney at Grace Baptist Church, got the senator's ear because of the faithfulness of another church in Cleveland. Do you know what Johnson needs to be encouraged to do? He needs to be encouraged from the Word of God to do right. Then we went in and uh, sat down with Sherrod Brown's people. Sherrod Brown wouldn't meet with us, but we sat down with his people. When they found out all we wanted to do is pray with them, they looked like they had seen a ghost. We got our Bibles out. We read some scripture and tried to pray with them. And you should have seen them, man. It's like they were vampires and we had garlic on or something. It was hilarious. But you know what those people need to hear? They need to hear that God's people are watching what they're doing. They're praying that God will direct them. Uh, you understand that's exactly what's happening here. In our text, you had the, the religious leaders needed the encouragement of the prophets. That's Joshua. Joshua, the, the, the high priest, he needed the encouragement, the help of the prophets. And Zerubbabel, the political leader, the governor, he needed the encouragement of God's people. You know what? We can't direct our politicians very much, but God can. And when we speak with the authority of God's word, that magnifies our influence. They need our help. And it's just like me as your pastor. So I'm the religious leader of Grace Baptist Church. I need the help of God. I need the encouragement of God. We all do. Everyone that serves here, we need that encouragement and the help of God. Now go to Haggai with me. So that's right before Zechariah. Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 1, In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house? It's talking about the temple that had been destroyed. Who is left among you? that saw this house in her first glory 
And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And look at what this says. And work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. So what this message is, it's an encouragement to the people not to be discouraged by what had happened in the past, but now to get to work. But have you ever looked out at the work and said, it's too much for me? I can't do it. So it'd be like for me, if they said that, that I am the one who had to physically finish this church building. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to pour concrete. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I can't do that. It would be too much for me. It would be too big for me. How many of you ever come up against something in life and that's the way that it felt to you? This is too much for me. I can't do this. I don't have the answers for this. Go back to Zechariah and I want you to see something. Zechariah chapter 4, look at verse 9. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Do you know sometimes it's just good to know that the job is going to get done? Now, do we have any perfectionists here? Any of you? Any perfectionists? How many of you perfectionists have jobs that are not completed? All of us. Right? Do you know what we need to hear? Finished is better than perfect. Finished is better than perfect. Let me ask you all something. Okay? And guys, you know your wife is going to elbow you in the ribs, and you're going to have a cracked rib if you don't raise your hand here. How many of you all have jobs at home that are not finished? Raise your hands. Look around, everybody. Oh, look at this. McDermott went like this. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we had our house on Riverside that we lived in for 13 years. I had a light switch that was hanging down for 13 years. I fixed it the week before we moved. Isn't it funny how that happens? You've got to sell it, so nobody wants to see that hanging down there, so you had to fix it. Do you know what's encouraging? It sounds like I've made it up for today. I didn't. This is just where we are. We're going to finish this project. It is going to be finished. That's exciting, isn't it? But how is it going to be finished? by a bunch of small things getting done. See, I can't do the big stuff, but I can do the small things. Look at what, look at what the text says in verse 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? Who hath despised the day of small things? You know, I was thinking about that at that church in Oregon this week. There are about 25 to 30 people in this church. And sometimes people think, what can that do? What can that accomplish? Well, 21 years ago when I came here, we'd have 50 people on a Sunday. Look at what God has done. Look around, and He's done it through you all. And, you know, there are some people that would say, well, this is still a small church. Not really. It's exciting to see what God is doing, but that happened through a bunch of small steps, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. What is the content of the message that's here in this text? The content of the message is the time had not yet arrived for the full, for the full manifestation of God's power. They didn't see it yet. So chapter 3 talks about that, and we're going to go on through the rest of the book that's prophesying what God is going to do with Israel. 
But the time of God's full manifestation of his power hadn't come. Though it was a time of weakness and small things, God was still at work on behalf of his people and for his ultimate glory. Now, let me read this to you. The character of the moment demanded dependence upon God and confidence in him. Let me read that again. The character of the moment demanded dependence upon God and confidence in him. Imagine what this was like. They'd been carried away into captivity for 70 years. And then notice what it said in, it was in Haggai chapter 2, the residue of the people. That means there was just a small group of people of the Jews that had gone back to Israel. So it's just this small group of people, this small group of people that had, remember, Sanballat and Tobiah and the, the challenges that happened in the book of Nehemiah about the building, and they had stopped. They had military trouble. They had legal trouble, and they had stopped building. And now after 14 years, they're saying, finish the work. And these people are saying, man, if it hadn't been done in 14 years, how are we going to do it? Do you know what the missing component was? Faith. Faith. Have you ever felt like, man, I just don't know if this is going to make it. I, I was thinking this morning, or I mean, sorry, yesterday as I was preparing for today. I, um, I was hesitating about preaching in Zechariah this morning because, you know, Pastor Nathan left. And isn't it wonderful to see the, the way the song service went this morning? And we have Michael and Tyler stepping up with computer stuff and Justin and Noah stepping up with music stuff and Aaron helping with that. And all these people doing these different jobs. Um, the, Laura made a, a list, a cleaning, a church cleaning sign-up sheet so that we can make sure that everything is cared for. And in one service, it was completely filled. I want you to think about something. Well, let me finish my thought. I've got to give this back to her or she'll beat me with cat of nine tails. Um, I hesitated to preach from Zechariah because Zechariah is kind of a heavy book. It's technical. We do a lot of cross-referencing and a lot of prophecy. And, you know, sometimes prophecy is not the most encouraging thing, right? God's going to destroy, you know, two-thirds of the population of the world. You know, uh, shall we pray? <laughs> you know, it's not the most encouraging thing all the time. And I'll tell you what was really fun. So remember, this is all kind of review. I preached this September 25th, 2013. That's all it takes me to get through a book of the Bible. Remember, we, we kind of moved away from Zechariah. And since so many new people had come, I had to start over. And so for today... All I had to do was review my sermon notes and listen to the sermon that I preached in 2013. And I was so encouraged because it's exactly what we need today. This sermon is exactly what we need for this day. I wish I was smart enough to plan it that way. I'm not. That's just we're preaching through the Bible. Here we are at this particular passage today. And God is answering our needs. Let me tell you why I was hesitant. We have people that are in genuine trouble right now. They're facing illnesses. They're facing financial trouble. They're facing marriage issues. 
And then, obviously, we have the church building. And I can tell that folks are a little discouraged about that. It's hard to come to church and it's difficult. The attendance goes down a little bit. The giving goes down a little bit. That's what happens every time. If you talk to any preacher in America who builds a church building, what happens when you're building a church building or starting discipleship is there's trouble that happens. Every time. Why? Because Satan and his minions do not want us to be effective in this community. I promise you that. And so when things start happening in our lives, we need to understand that this is a spiritual battle that we're in. And let me tell you something. I can't beat Satan, but Jesus Christ can. Right? I can't face the issues that come at us in this world. I can't do that. Like the satanic attack at that synagogue this week. That is just horrible. And you know the media is blaming us, right? How many of you here want to kill the Jews? It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. We love the Jews. We want them to be saved. Our president is the one who finally moved the embassy to Jerusalem where it belongs, right? This world, it seems like all of this stuff comes down on us all the time, and it's nonstop. And whenever we try and take a big step forward for God, that's when you get the enemy's attention. Amen? That's exactly how the Israelites felt as they're trying to complete the walls and build the house of God. And they're looking at this and they're saying, how can I build the magnificent temple for the presence of of God. How can I do that? You can't. But there's a small thing that you can do. Let me give you an example. How many of you understand that when in the 21st century, when you have a public meeting and people go into a restroom, they expect it to work and they expect it to be clean? How many of you know that? And yet people think that cleaning the bathroom is a small thing. Give you another illustration. Most people make a decision within two or three minutes of getting on the church property as to whether or not they're going to return. See, we think it's the music that brings people back. We think it's the preaching that brings people back. And eventually that may be true. But before the music has ever started, before the preacher ever preaches, most people have made the decision as to whether or not they're going to return to that church. How many of you that surprises you? Seriously. You think, holy cow, I, I can't imagine that. That's exactly what goes on. That's why building the facility properly, caring for it properly, making sure it's clean, making sure it's nice, that's so important to reaching our community because the simple fact of the matter is that people will step up in class to go to church. They won't step down. Listen to what I just said. People will step up in class to go to church. They won't step down. And I know that there's probably some spiritual people that are saying, well, it shouldn't be that way. Well, I ought to be 6'4". <laughs> we have to deal with the world as it is, not as we wish it were. That's the world that we live in. And so our goal for the building is not the Hilton, and it's not Motel 6. It's the Hampton Inn. <laughs> Middle of the road, nice, clean, pleasant for the building. Why? Why? 
so that we can open up the Word of God and ask God to pierce someone's heart with the Bible and see their life changed so that God receives glory and other people hear about Jesus Christ. Not that other people hear about Grace Baptist Church. That's a tool that God uses. We want them to hear about Jesus. And the facility, the building is part of that. And the building, that list of somebody who vacuums something or someone who cleans a window or somebody who dusts a surface, we think that's small when that might be the biggest thing spiritually that you will do all week. Because what a church service is, it's a bunch of small things that all happen until we come together and do this. The other thing that happens that's so important, these small things that we all participate in. You know, let's, let's move on in the text and then I'll address some of that. Um, look at, keep your, keep your place in Zechariah and go to John chapter 6. I want to show you something. John 6, let's look at verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, remember, Jesus never asks questions to gain information. Do you think Jesus knew what he was going to do? Right? Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There's a lad here. Now, sometimes we're hard on the disciples. But, you know, you've got 5,000 men plus the women and children. There, there might be 20,000, 25,000 people there. And Jesus says to Philip, one guy, how are you going to feed them? Can you imagine? And Philip, I don't have any idea. I'm just 200, 200 penny worth. I don't know how much 200 penny worth is. I know it's more than two bucks. Okay? It's a lot. It's really important that we understand this. Jesus knew what he was going to do. Philip didn't have any idea. Do you know what Philip saw? Philip saw a great mountain in front of him. Philip saw this huge obstacle that there was no way that he could conquer. Okay? Then look at what the text says. One of his, verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? How many of you know that Jesus can take a little and make it a lot? Now, y'all know the rest of the story. They made so much that there was stuff left over. Jesus Christ, he turned that into so much that there was stuff left over. Everybody ate until they were full, and then they gathered up the fragments so that none of it was wasted, and the disciples had food to eat. All based on that lad. You know, how cool would it have been to be that kid? You know, for the rest of his life, he was able to say, you won't believe what Jesus did with my lunch. <laughs> you won't believe what he did. Can you imagine? Now, all that little boy had was his lunch. And he gave that. And look at what God did with it. And now 2,000 years later, we're still praising God 
for that little boy. See, here's what we think. I can't feed 25,000 people. How many of you would agree that you cannot feed 25,000 people? Jesus can. And here's the thing. Did Jesus actually need that little boy? No. But what do you think it did in that boy's life? You see, God used that little boy to demonstrate his glory when that little boy gave his small thing. Now, I was in sales for a long time. And um, if I'm being honest, I was a good salesman. (laughs) Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect, he was uh, testifying in a court case. And they said, "Who are? state your name, Franklin Lloyd Wright. What do you do? I am the world's greatest living architect. So his wife said to him later, why did you say that? He said, my dear, I was under oath. I had to tell the truth. (laughs) But anyway, I was a pretty good salesman. And, uh, man, I, I, I did all the training, all the closing seminars and all that to get the deal. I refused to use any of that at Grace Baptist Church. So... In raising money, I refuse to use manipulation and to try to find tearjerker ways, show you a sad movie and get you to give money, whatever. I refuse to do all of that. It's between you and God what you give. Amen? So what I'm about to say, it it seems like I planned it because we need to raise money for the building. But go ahead and listen. Go back on the website and listen to this sermon from five years ago. And this was in the sermon from five years ago. So it sounds like this is a manipulation thing. I promise it's not. But there are people, you know, so we need one hundred dollars or $200,000 to finish the project. I just met with the electrician. And the, the electrician's bill is $40,000 more than what they had proposed. You say, why is that? I could give you all kinds of reasons. 15000 of it was to bring the power from the corner to over here. $15,000 of that. We have to have two new light poles. Those light poles are $6,000 each. So, this, so these are things that just come up and that, that, that expense is there. But here's what people think. I don't have $40,000. Y'all, any of you ever feel that way? So whatever your small thing is, do that. All I have is my lunch. There's a lad here. Do that. Now, how many of you could see how that could seem like a manipulation from the preacher to raise money? How many of you could see that? But I promise before God, my Savior, that's not what this is. This is the idea of small things. God has intended ministry to be done by a whole bunch of small things. Um, let's, let's go back to the text. Go back to Zechariah. I want you to see something. Um, we have trunk or treat Wednesday. The difference between the success of that and the failure of that is a whole bunch of people doing a whole bunch of small things. You know, there are many of us who would say, I couldn't put that together. I've had, I think, three churches contact us about our trunk or treat on how to do it because Wade and Stacy do such a tremendous job with it. And you might say, I can't do that. Well, God brought Wade and Stacy to us and gave them a desire to do that, and then a whole bunch of people help. 
That's the way every ministry at Grace Baptist Church works. And here's what happens. There are some of you who are here today and you love Grace Baptist Church, you love the Lord, but what you think is, I don't have anything to offer. And now I'm not talking about the money. It's service. You say, I don't have anything to offer. I promise God created you and gifted you and brought you to this place specifically because of what you have to offer. He brought you here for such a time as this. You are needed. You're important. You're part of this work. And with Pastor Nathan moving on, what we'll find out is there are a whole lot of jobs that Pastor Nathan was doing that someone else should have been doing already. And that's not your fault. That's our fault for not delegating it. Amen? Give me a big amen on that. Amen. Amen. And so that's the idea of God's work. We all do our part, and then God does great things with it. Um, Zechariah 4, I want you to notice this. Look at verse 7. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. What's this talking about? This building of the temple was a huge obstacle, and it was being built on the mountain of God. And how could he do that? Notice what it says. It's not God that does it. It's Zerubbabel that's going to do it. As God's people do a whole bunch of small things, and then that thing is accomplished. See, this passage is a message about mountains. Before the deserts, the mountains stand tall. To the rivers and streams, the mountains are impressive, immense, and foreboding. But before Zerubbabel and the power of the Spirit of the living God, they shall be reduced to nothing. Keep your place here. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. And look at what God is going to do in the future. Isaiah chapter 40. The verse that I always write on everything, it's the verse I chose as the verse to define my life when I was just in fourth grade is verse 8. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, or the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. But look at verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough places plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Someday. When Jesus Christ returns, the valleys are going to be brought up, the mountains are going to be brought down, and there's going to be a highway for Jesus Christ, and He's going to walk right into Jerusalem. And the city of God is going to be raised up above the highest mountain, and the world will flow into it to hear the Word of God from the mouth of Jesus Christ. That is coming. That is the promise. And who shall do it? The Bible says that, that God Himself is going to do it. God has declared it's going to happen, and it will happen. This passage is a testimony to the fact that God never forgets His promises. So now, look at back in Zechariah 4. So, verse 9 again. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this house. His hands shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. The Bible says he is going to finish it. God will enable the completion of what he allowed his servant to begin. 
it's important to know that God's going to help us finish what He's called us to do. And look, at this is such an interesting thing. So again, verse 9, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. Okay, now look at this ne- these next words. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. Do you know what I keep hearing about our church building? Man, I see you're building a new building. How many of you have heard something like that from someone? Right? And here's the next thing they say. Man, good things must be going on there. Man, something, something's happening there. Something's happening here. I have no idea what the rest of that song is. It might have just been blasphemy. Um, there is something special that God is doing in this place through you guys. I think the the primary reason that God blesses Grace Baptist Church is because of the way we exalt His Word and because of our one-on-one discipleship. Because we don't have one minister. We have 40 people ministering the Word of God to someone else. How cool is that? I wonder how many churches can say that. That's what God is doing here. That's what he's doing here. There's something special. And here's what happens. When God blesses a ministry like this, he receives the glory. You know, there are a lot of churches closing all over the country. They're closing. You know what? We're not closing. God is doing a work here. He has promised to finish it. And he will be faithful if we're faithful. But if we're not faithful, he'll move on to someone else who will be. You understand that's how God works. How many of you know that's the way that God works? And the faithfulness, look, God's not asking you to stand up here and preach. God's asking you to do that small thing, that small thing that is vital for this work to continue. You know, there are so many people that are dealing with mountains. And I don't want to be trite with that. There are people that are dealing with serious, huge things in their lives that there's no possible way they can overcome it. But I promise you this. God has made promises to you. And He will walk through it with you. And He'll help you. Man, people who go through genuine trouble, I don't know how they do it without the Lord. When, when our son Riley died, I thought I was going to die. And I know that Laura felt the same way. And I would just put my face in the pillow and just cry and pray, Oh, God, that's all I could say. And yet, Laura and I came through that with our relationship stronger than it was before we went into it. Why? Because we're special people? No, not at all. Because that's what God does. That's what God does. He helps us. But you know what we had to do? Those small things. What do you do when you're facing a horrible day? Well, you get up and you take a shower and you brush your teeth and you take one step at a time. And you know what God has promised to do? He's promised to help you take that next step. And then he handles the big things. Well, what if the outcome isn't what I want? God is still God. God is still on His throne. His promises are still sure. Eternity is still long. He is still promising to be with us every step of the way. But we live in this world that's full of hurt and pain. The Bible says that that our flesh, it groans 
waiting for the redemption of the body because God has not yet made us what we are going to be. We will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. That's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And until that happens, this is a world of hurt and pain and struggle because that's what sin does in the world. And that mountain of sin, that mountain of opposition, that mountain of trouble that's before us every day, God doesn't expect us to remove that mountain. God expects us to trust Him and take the next step. And take that small step and believe Him and trust Him and believe that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He's going to finish it. He's going to finish the work. Amen? I want you to think about something. In Exodus, now I know you all when you do your, your scripture reading and you, you get to Exodus, that's when it bogs down. And then you get to Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and then you feel like you're in the tribulation period trying to read the Bible. But you get to this point and the guy is, God's describing the temple implements and he's describing the laver where God, where, where they're going to take and do the ceremonial cleansing. And the Bible says that it's made of solid gold of one piece. And so you've got a guy with his little hammer pounding on this piece of gold, shaping it day after day, one little piece at a time. Day after day after day, just doing his little part. And he's a skilled worker, working with his hands, but nobody sees what he's doing. And he's doing that one little thing. And there are thousands of people doing that one little thing. And what ended up was a magnificent building. Now listen. And God came and filled it. You see, the building was just a building until God showed up. Do you know what we are? If you're saved, you're the temple of God. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And every little bit, every little step that you take that seems very little and very insignificant, every little thing that you do for God's glory, God takes it and fills it and makes it something so far beyond what we could ever ask or think that it just blows our mind. You know, when Michael puts the audio together this week, that might seem like a small thing, but it's not a small thing to those people in Oregon. God takes our little things, and who knows what He can do with it. Listen, I want you to think about something. That's been going on for five years. I had no idea. I don't even know who this guy was. I have no idea, but this little congregation out in Oregon is being blessed by Grace Baptist Church because you all do the small things that it takes to get the work out, takes to get the message out. Isn't it wonderful when God uses us? And it's, you know it's even better when God uses you and you don't know it, right? Because then, you can, then you're not getting proud and, and arrogant and everything else, and God's getting all of the glory. Isn't that awesome? Who knows what small thing God wants you to do? And this isn't a rah-rah Joel Osteen, you know, let's all be happy. This is, God's plan is for there to be a lad 
who has his lunch. says, God, I don't have much, but I'll give this. And notice what the disciple says. But what is so little among so many? And Jesus says, I know. I know what I'm going to do with it. Do you know what we can do? We can take our little bit and give it to God. Time, talent, treasure. But remember what the missing component was for the people in Zechariah. The missing component was faith. Believing that God was going to finish the work. How many of you believe God has something special to do in our community? How many of you believe that? How many of you believe it's necessary, it's needed? Well, the only way that's going to happen is for us to do our small part. Amen? Let's do our part. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you.